sweetheart. Well, it is a privilege for us to be back at Faith Baptist Church. Uh, we were trying to remember how long it's been. I think somewhere around 13 or 14 years ago uh, since the last time we were here and preached. But I thank the Lord for the ministry and for your faithfulness. Boy, I'm thankful for your pastor and his wife and their faithfulness. Somebody give me a hearty amen there. Uh, they, I know they have been a blessing to you over these years, but their family has been such a blessing to us. We love the Paulies, um, all of them, outside of maybe Brother Scott Pauly. We love all of them, but they're all pretty good people. And we appreciate their friendship, and it's been a joy to see how God has used each, each of them. And we've been looking forward to come, and uh, we had the opportunity. I was preaching at a church uh, not far from here. Matter of fact, I, the folks from over at um, Brother Jink, or Jenkins, yeah, they're coming over Tuesday night, I think we talked about. But um, I was preaching for him last year, and I got to stop in. Uh, my wife and I got to stop in real quick and see Brother Paulie while we were coming through, and we set up this meeting, and so it was a blessing for us to spend some time with him. But I thank the Lord for a good, faithful church, and I uh, appreciate all that God's doing here. I'm not going to say a lot of extra things this morning, because I know that each of us want to beat the Methodist out to the um, eating facility this afternoon, so we're going to try to move along um, quickly this morning, and I'll say a little bit more about our ministry and our family tonight. But I thank the Lord for a time that um, we put the emphasis on missions in our church. Now, I believe every service should be a missions emphasis um, service, but it is a special time when we come, and I, I like when a church calls a missions conference a missions revival, because I believe with all of my heart that if the time and the effort and the prayer and the hearts of God's people are prepared for a missions meeting, that it ought to be a revival. Amen because we put our mind on what is the mind of Christ and uh, we're doing his business and we're doing everything that we can uh, to further his business. And so um, I hope and pray that each of us have our hearts ready for what the Lord has. I'm thankful for the missionaries that are here and we're looking forward to hearing more about their ministries and what part that we can have in praying for them and supporting them and seeing them get on the field and do the work of God. Um, I was preaching in a church not uh, too many years ago over in Kansas City area, and I had something happen to me that I had never had happen uh, before in ministry. Matter of fact, I was just preaching in this church uh, just a few days ago. But there's a lot of things that they teach you about in Bible college about ministry. They have a uh, classes that teach you as a pastor how to uh, be the best pastor that you can be in um, church leadership and all kinds of things. But I had something happen that I had never had take place in preaching, and they had never taught me what to do in Bible college. But as a pastor, I've had times that I've looked back across the crowd and somewhere there'll be somebody sleeping during my preaching. Now, I know you don't ever... Oh. Sorry there, guys. You know what? There. Okay. Do I go underneath? Uh, hold on, I'm getting there. 
Huh? Now I just muted it. Am I on? I'm not on. Okay. Am I on? I'm on. Thank you. You got to have a college education for this stuff. I'll, I'll sway from my story that I was about to tell and I'll tell another story. There's two things that will not be in heaven. A sound man and a cell phone. Amen. God bless you guys up there. And I came to that conclusion several years ago. I was preaching a revival in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And, you know, a, a preacher just rants and raves if, if a cell phone goes off during the church service. So I was preaching this revival for a friend of mine, and the, and the preacher was sitting on the front row. And in my, while I was preaching, his cell phone went off. Now, I just stopped the whole service, and I said, well, we're going to listen to it. And, and the crazy preacher, he answered the phone in the middle of church. So I just stopped the service, and he had it cupped up to his ears, and he, he was listening intently. And he got through, and I, I just smiled at him. I said, was, was that your stockbroker that was calling you? And he laughed. He said, no. He said, if you want me to tell you who it was, it was the sound man calling me to tell you to turn your microphone on. And <laughs> from that time on, I haven't liked sound men or cell phones. And so I, I got off track there a little bit. But I, I was preaching in Kansas City several years ago, and... As a pastor, I was about to say that I've looked across a crowd and I've seen people sleeping and, you know, maybe a teenager laying their head on the back of the uh, pew. But I had something happen on a Sunday morning. I put two dogs to sleep while I was preaching. They don't tell you what to do in Bible college about stuff like that. But on the front row, there were two ladies that were blind ladies that sat there. And both of them had Labrador retrievers as, as um, dogs, seeing eye dogs. And uh, we love labs anyway. But I had asked them if I could go by and pet them. And they said, no, they're working right now and all of this. But in the middle of my message, I was preaching along pretty heartily. And I got soft in the middle of my message. And when, when I got at that low spot in the middle of my preaching... One of those dogs snored as loud as any man that I've ever heard in my life. I was about to say woman, but I better not. About as loud as I've ever heard somebody snore. And so I giggled. Everybody else was giggling. And it went on for a few more minutes. And I just happened to look over. And that same dog that had been snoring, there was this big old line of drool coming out of its mouth and dripping on the floor. And I said to myself, I might as well stop this service. There's no reason for me to go on. I'm putting everybody to sleep. But, but uh, it's a joy for us to be here. I want you to take your Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I am going to speak about the power that is within us or the power that we have. And uh, tonight, to, today, this morning, I'm going to preach on the power of the gospel Tonight I'll speak on the power of the commission that God has given to us. And on Tuesday night as I preach, I will, I will speak about the power of simple childlike faith. And I hope that you and I can prepare ourselves for what the Lord has. 
And I believe that God wants to do something in all of our hearts. I believe he wants to do something in my heart. And I hope that we will prepare ourselves for that. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you found your place, I'd like to ask you if you're able to, to stand for the reading of God's word. And if, if you're not able to, please don't feel obligated. But I want to read just a couple of verses and then we'll um, have a word of prayer. In verse 17 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the scripture says, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Amen. You may be seated and let's ask the Lord to help us. Our Heavenly Father, we are so blessed to be able to be in your house this morning. Dear Lord, I thank you for Brother and Mrs. Pauly and for their faithfulness. Thank you for how you've used them here and thank you for this wonderful church and how they've supported the man of God. And dear Lord, I thank you for this time that we've come together to uh, put our attention on the heart of God. And dear Lord, I pray that in these short days that we have, that you will help us to uh, be mindful of not only what um, you have called us to do, but how you've given us the ability to fulfill that calling. And dear Lord, I pray that you would speak to each one here this, this morning. If there's one here today that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that they will before they leave today. We thank you for the cross of Christ. Dear Lord, I'm thankful that 53 years ago I bowed my knees and, and bowed my head and trusted you as my personal Lord and Savior. And dear Lord, I'm thankful for the grace of God that's real. And bless us now, and dear Lord, we recognize that all is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One come down. And so we plead and we ask for your presence. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for the water. Let me say uh, just quickly, thank you for the kindness of the church, for the beautiful hotel room, and um, we thank you for the gift basket that we had, and I want to thank the RU program for the wonderful gift last night and the dinner, and y'all have been gracious hosts already, and I appreciate it so much. Here in this passage, we find that the Apostle Paul begins, as he's speaking to the church at Corinth, he is beginning to hone their attention on, in on what God had for them as a church to do. And he reminds them in verse 9, and I love this simple statement that's given. In verse 9, Paul says, God is faithful. Boy, aren't you glad that we serve a faithful God? I can look back on the darkest days in my life and the best days in my life. And I can say through all of them that God has been faithful. And we serve a faithful God. And so coming from this point and this view of the faithfulness of God, Paul comes in verse 17 and he says, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. I know a lot of preachers today that 
are, are very articulate in the way that they preach. And I think that's wonderful. Dr. R.G. Lee was one of my favorite preachers and had the uh, joy of being able to go several times and hear him preach in person. But to listen to Dr. R.G. Lee preach was all, almost a mesmerizing thing because uh, he was so eloquent in his speech and he seemed like he could bring the words into picture no matter what he was preaching about. But there are times in our life that we can get so accustomed to what we say even in giving out the gospel, I believe that the best opportunity that we have to give the gospel is through the word of God, just give our testimony. It doesn't have to be with articulate words and it, it doesn't have to be something that's pretty. I, I had a preacher friend of mine back 30 or years ago or so told me this. He said, a, a sermon doesn't have to be something that's beautiful. A sermon is something that fixes something. And do you know what? It's simple, but it's the truth. A, sim a, a, a sermon does not always have to be something that's beautiful in its words, but it does have to be backed up with the power of Almighty God. If, uh, if what it needs to be accomplished is going to be accomplished, it has to have the power of Almighty God. In verse 18, he reminds us for the preaching of the, uh, of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us that are saved, it is the power of God. I've had people ask me this on many occasions down through the years. How can you know that you're saved? Now I believe from the word of God, there's three simple things that cause me to be able to know that I'm saved. Number one, I can look in the word of God and I can see that I've done what the Bible told, told me to do to be saved. And I can trust the word of God. But the Bible also says that God's spirit bears witness with my spirit that I'm a child of God. I can know that I'm saved because of that. I can know that I'm saved because of a beautiful verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I'm thankful that we can witness a changed life, no matter if we've come from a rough background or if we've come from a preacher's home. But I want us to see this morning the power of the gospel I want you to hold your finger there most of you know these other verses but I want us to look at them I want you to go to Acts chapter 1 if you would and we know that this wonderful passage as God begins to initiate the steps of the local church in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 the Bible says, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that this evening, the unction that causes us to fulfill the commission that God has called us to do. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Look, if you would, in Romans chapter 1 for just a moment. Romans chapter 1. I'm thankful that we find in the Apostle Paul 
the, the theme of the gospel from the time that he came and stood before God himself on the road to Damascus or on the road to Damascus. I had my, my brain just fried up on me for just a minute on the road to Damascus. And there he came in contact with the Lord. From then the gospel was the theme of his life. But in Romans chapter 1 we find in verse 16 that the Bible says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Well, I'm going to talk about that before we end, that I'm thankful that it is an everyone salvation. It's a whosoever salvation. And he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and to the Greek. Now there are three things specifically that I want to look at when we look at the power of the gospel. First of all, I want us to see the power of the sacrifice of the gospel of Christ. Do you know what? For us as God's people, salvation is free. I'll talk about a little bit more about it in just a, a few minutes, but salvation is a wonderful gift. It is free to us. But, the, but salvation and the gospel is not something that has been given freely. It's something that's been bought for us. The great sacrifice of Calvary. I believe sometimes I, I was talking to my wife yesterday about one of the oldest messages that I have written out on paper. I have from back in the uh, late 70s or early 80s that I, I preached a message to a afternoon Sunday school at our church where we bust um, two or three hundred in from the projects of our, our city. And I preached a message on what if we could spend a day in hell and just kind of went through step by step what hell is all about. But you know what? What if we could spend a moment at the cross of, of Calvary? Uh, I've had the joy of being in Israel and you come out of the old city of David and walk down into the Kidron Valley and up on the other side which is that beautiful place called the Mount of Olives and there you can physically go and kneel down beside or touch olive trees that are over 2,000 years of age. And you come out of the, uh, the Mount of Olives and you go onto the back side of the olive, uh, Mount of Olives and there's a little knoll out on the edge of the hill that many people believe that that's the place that the Lord Jesus was crucified. It certainly was where the Romans oftentimes used this area to crucify criminals. But many people believe because of, its, uh, 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 of how close it was to the tomb area, many people believe that that place of a skull Golgotha was the place that Jesus um, was crucified. And you can literally, I remember going uh, into the Garden of Gethsemane and kneeling there with some preachers and praying in somewhere of the circumference of where the Lord would have prayed. 
And it just literally sent goosebumps up my spine to think about the fact that not only could I pray in this beautiful place, but to know that the Lord Jesus uh, in, in flesh prayed in that same area. But what if we could look at the Lord Jesus as he took our sins upon the cross? I want you to go over to John chapter 19 and we'll look just quickly at the story of the Lord's crucifixion. Go back, if you would, into chapter 18, and we'll look at beginning with verse 1. Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment. And it was early, and they themselves were not in, into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. And Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? And they answered and said unto him, If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him unto thee. Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him and judge him according to your law. Now let's go down to chapter 19. It says, Then Pilate therefore took Jesus, and he scourged him, and the soldiers planted a crown of thorns, and put it on his head, and they put, it on, him, they put on him a purple robe, and said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they smote him with their hands, mockingly. They put this robe on him. And Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said unto him, Behold the man. Now look in verse 8. When Pilate therefore heard that, that saying, he was more afraid and went again into the judgment hall and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then said Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and have power to release thee? He had no idea where the power was coming from. But I want you to think about the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. This man who knew no sin that was about to take our sins upon him. And he was brought before Pilate's hall and there in Pilate's hall was about to be scourged. And I've been into the area that they believe is Pilate's hall and you can look in that cavern and up on the ceiling, there are two places that they used to place criminals' hands. They would tie their hands and stretch their body out as far as it could, sometimes having their tippy toes touch the ground and sometimes having them hang freely. But they would stretch their legs and stretch their feet as far out as they could. And then they would take what's called a cat of nine tails or a flagellum back in those days which had nine leather cords and on the end of those cords oftentimes would be stones and oftentimes would be broken bones uh, of some animal. And those objects were tied on to the end of that, those leather cords. And they would stretch the body of that criminal out and they would take that cat of nine tails and they would 
lacerated around the body of that criminal. Can you imagine the King of Kings, the Lamb of God that's taking away the sin of the world? As he stretched there, hung between heaven and earth, and that flagellum came around and wrapped around his body. And it said oftentimes as those stones would hit the body, it would break most of the ribs and it would break other bones in their body. And then as those bones uh, that were at the end of those leather cords, as it was pulled back, it would rip the body. Oftentimes it was said that criminals would have to carry their own bowels in some type of container because their bowels had been ripped open. But the, body, the Bible says of our Lord that his visage so, was so marred that they did not even see him as a man. Not only was he scourged there, but he was brought out of Pilate's hall and he was brought before the Roman soldiers. And the Bible speaks about as the Roman soldiers began to mock the Lord Jesus. That they would take a reed and they, they put a crown, not a crown, a royal crown. But a crown of Judean, Judean thorns which oftentimes were six to eight inches. And they wrapped those Judean thorns in a crown and press that crown into the brow of our Lord. The blood began to flow down his face. Those Roman soldiers, and sometimes we think about it that maybe it was just three or four soldiers that would come by. But a legion of those soldiers oftentimes was anywhere from 700 to 900 soldiers. And those soldiers, one by one, came by and spit on the face of our Lord. They would take that reed and they would smack that reed on the, that crown of thorns and press those Judean thorns deeper into the brow of our Lord. And the blood flowed from his body. One of those Roman soldiers took their hands with maybe leather gloves and grabbed a hold of his beard and plucked that whole beard out of his face. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. I'm thankful for the power of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross of Calvary. But not only am I thankful for the sacrifice, the power of the sacrifice, but I am so grateful for the power of the love of our Lord upon the cross of Calvary. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. Amen. I saw one hanging on a tree in agony and blood. He fixed his languid eyes on me as near the cross I stood. Oh, can it be upon a tree the Savior died for me? My heart is thrilled, my soul is filled to think that he died for me. 
Oh, what great love. I'm so thankful that we find in John 3, 16 that God so loved the world. I don't care what color the person is. I don't care what nation they come from. I don't care what God they serve now. God died for all of them that they may come to the place of the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and his saving. Jesus was not on that cross because of the betraying kiss of a lost disciple. He was not on the cross because of the angry Jewish crowd that sought to take his life. He was not on the cross because of the judicial arm of the Roman government. No, he shed his life for us. He gave up his life for us. Greater love hath no man than this. I'm so thankful for the love of God. Soldiers would strike Jesus across the face. One by one, they would come by. Jesus was stripped of his clothing. His hands were tied above his head as the Roman legions would come by. They see an opportunity to mock him as he lay in agony. But I'm so thankful as it says in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5 and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his blood. You know what, I'm thankful as a child of God that I can look back on the, on the day that I accepted the blood of Jesus Christ as the remission of my sin. But you know what, for us as God's people, as we come to the time as a church that we are honing our mind in on missions, the theme of missions ought to always be the cross of Christ and what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us. It's not just a local independent Baptist church or it's not just a group of people, but it's what Jesus bought so that we could be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and God has given us the commission as we'll talk about tonight to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I'm thankful for the love and the power of the love of Christ. Boy, I'm so thankful that I've been able to present the gospel to people who are drug addicts, to people who are drunks, to people who are, are, are good people, churched people, or people in church, not church people, but people in church. I'm thankful that I've been able to present the gospel to people who have been out into the dregs of sin. And God is not determinate upon who receives the gospel according to our goodness. It's according to his goodness. Amen. I'm thankful for the love that's given. But here's the thing, third thing that I want us to think about in the power of the cross. Not only do we see the power of its sacrifice and the power of its love, but I want us to understand the power of its gift. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, I love the verse, and boy, this, this is the, the distinction in this verse is from one end of the earth to the other. It says that the wages of sin is death. But then it changes and it goes, but the gift of God is eternal life Amen. through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. 
What a gift. There's no gift like this gift. I, I, I was given a gift um, maybe 25 years ago. And I carry it around with me at times. My father gave me this. It's a Parker pen. I, I'm a, I collect two things. I collect knives and I collect pens. And I love pens. I, I have some Montblanc pens, which, you know, the Germans say those are not pens. They're writing instruments, fine writing instruments. Now, I don't particularly like how a Montblanc pen writes. But I love Parker pens. And you can, you can get a Parker pen anywhere from a, um, a pen that you accidentally borrow out of your hotel room and take home with you to pens that are $25,000, expensive ones. So I, I have some Parker pens, but my father gave me this pen 25 years ago. And this is a fountain pen. Now, uh, for those of you who uh, deal with pens a little bit, and maybe some that like pens, I don't know about you, but I'm not a fountain pen kind of guy. Um, I end up getting more ink on me than I get in, in the pen. So this pen that my father gave me, it's special because he gave it to me. But because it's a fountain pen, I've had it sitting in a little smiley cup um, beside my recliner on my coffee table, along with my big pens and my number two pencils and my candy wrappers that I'm too lazy to go to the uh, trash can and put in. I put in all of the, those little things in that coffee cup. And here sits my Parker pen. So one day I got curious. I said, you know what? I, I want to find out a little bit more about that Parker pen. So I called Parker up and I said, I, I've got a Parker pen and my father gave it to me and I want a little bit of information about it. And so I said, can you tell me some about it? He said, yes. He said, give me the serial number. And so I took the quill off and found the serial number for him. I gave it to him. And I gave him a little bit of information. He asked me, he said, is the pen, is it gold with black trim or is it black with gold trim? And I said, well, it looks to me like it's gold with a little bit of black trim. And so he took a minute on the computer and he said, well, he said, you've got a special edition pen. Now, special edition, that sounds pretty good to me. You know, uh, it's not the ordinary pen. And so he started telling me, well, it's, it was um, produced back in the 80s, I think 83, 84, somewhere in that line. And then he began to type some more and he said, and this is a presidential model. Now he really perked my attention up then. I have a presidential special edition Parker pen. And so he told me a little bit more about it and he said, now, I, I asked him, I said, now I'm not planning on selling this, but would you just give me a value on this pen? He said, well, there's two models. There's a six inch model and there's a seven inch model. He said, if you have the six inch model, the pen's worth about $600. 
Now I stopped a second. I said, hold on just a second. Let me clean this ear out just a little bit. I said, run that one by me again. He said, if it's six inches, it's $600. He said, if it's seven inches, it's worth about $750. Now it took me less than 10 seconds to go find my tape measure and come back and throw that tape on here to find out that I've got a seven inch model. I had had a gift that was given to me. Sitting in my smiley cup with my candy wrappers and my big number two uh, pencils, my big pens that I'd gotten from the hotels, there sat Mr. Gold Special Edition presidential model $750 pen. My dad had given me a gift that I loved because of who gave it to me. But I had no idea what the value of this is. My wife uh, checked on it not too long ago and the value of this pen is up to almost $1,500. Can I tell you this? There is no greater gift in this world than the gift, the power of the gift that Almighty God is offering to us. It's a free gift. It's a free gift that's not like no other free gift that we've ever been, been offered. It's a life-changing gift. It's a gift that has brought the drug addict out of drugs and brought them into a sane life. It's a, it's a gift that's brought the drunkard out of that, that stupor of um, needing a bottle every day and brought them to the point that they're satisfied in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he gives to them. It's a a gift that allows us to go from needing the vices of this world that all we need is the precious old book and the love of Christ. That's all we need. It's a wonderful gift. It's a a life-changing gift. It's a gift of love that God has given to us. But there's power in it. I want us to understand that as we come into this room, most of us here in this room have accepted that gift at some time. And we're living in a world that's dastardly in its deeds oftentimes. And the filth of this world is far greater than Sodom and Gomorrah ever was. But I'm here to say this, the power of the gospel has not waned one bit, no matter how wicked this world is. I'm thankful that God can change people just as much as he could 30 years ago and 40 years ago and 50 years ago. God's power is still in the gospel. So if that's the case, why don't we give it out? Why don't we share it? My my father was a mean fighting drunk. He He had not been in church but only one year in his life up until the time that he got saved. And the only reason he knew that is because he got, as a child, I, I don't, he was eight or nine years old, he got a certificate for perfect attendance to Sunday school one year. The only time that he had been in church. 
as a young teenager, he began to drink. His mother was a drunk. As the only way that she knew of to get away from the liquor bottle, my grandmother drove her car to the middle of the Memphis-Arkansas bridge that spans between Memphis, Tennessee and West Memphis. Parked her car in the middle of that bridge and left a note for my dad and got out with traffic coming by and jumped into the muddy waters of the Mississippi. My grandfather on my dad's side was a mean drunk. Every Saturday he would go across the tracks in Forest City, Arkansas over into the Wynn area. Every Saturday he'd go, or every Friday he'd go across the tracks. And he was a semi-professional boxer and he would go across the tracks and he would either beat up on somebody every Friday night or somebody would beat him up. Come home drunk. My grandmother, uh, my grandfather on my mother's side was a mean drunk that beat up my grandmother and verbally abused my mother and her brother. But on the May the 15th, 1963, right outside of Jacksonville, North Carolina, my dad was a young Marine private. And a man from Grace Baptist Church there in town came with a, co a copy of a New Testament with the gospel of the Lord Jesus to a mean man that had just been out of jail not long before that and brought that copy of the New Testament and led my father to the Lord. Amen. And on May the 15th, 1963, not only did God save my dad through the power of the gospel, but God changed the vicious circle in the life of our home. Do you know what? If we truly understood the power of Calvary's sacrifice and of Calvary's love and of the power of that gift that God gave, not only would we receive it this morning, if we have not, but it would so burden and, and break our hearts for those that needed it. Sometimes we need to think about what God did for us on the day that we got saved. Were it not for grace, I could tell you where I'd be. I'm thankful for the redeeming blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that saved me. But I'm thankful that I've had the privilege and the opportunity to tell others of that same grace. Amen. Dr. R.G. Lee said this. Can you picture this? A lamb between two snarling wolves. God's nightingale between two puff adders the rose of Sharon between two cactus plants, a dove between two hissling serpents. They crucified him between two criminals because that is what they considered him to be. Both thieves deserved to die. All they had behind them was the ashes of wasted life. They were at the end of themselves. However, one persisted to the end in unbelief while the other cried out to Jesus for mercy. Amen. If you're here this morning, and in your heart there's something that's missing, 
There's something that you're searching for. You're not satisfied. The world seems to be pulling you in step by step and you're looking for something that will satisfy the inner inward being of your soul and people look towards drugs and people look towards liquor and people look towards this uh, lifestyle of homosexuality today and we could go on and on. Sometimes people look for it in religion and they're willing to come and profess religion but I'm thankful that uh, salvation is not a religion it is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and there are some here in this room this morning that need to trust Christ and have that relationship that will satisfy you beyond any relationship that you've ever had but I'll say this for those of us who know the Lord Jesus as our Savior we need to have a renewed look at Calvary to remind us of what the worth of propagating the gospel is all about. It's worth it for a father that's on their way to hell. I'll give, I, I know I'm past time, and I'll give this illustration and I'll close. I, when I was pastoring here in the States, I pastored a young 23-year-old girl. Her name was Barbara. Get a drink of water real quick. Barbara was a, a wonderful girl. She was a bus captain. She was a Sunday school teacher. She sang in the choir. And she would do anything that the preacher asked her to do. But I had been her pastor for a long time. Her mother came to church. Her two brothers came to church. But her dad had never came to church. I was preaching out of the passage that I'll preach on tonight. I was preaching out of that passage on a Sunday night. And I don't know what spoke to Barbara's heart specifically. But Barbara, on that Sunday night, along with a lot of other people in our church, came to the altar and was just dealing with some things, getting their hearts right with God that night. I finally went down and knelt beside Barbara and she was just weeping at the altar. And I said, Barbara, I said, what's the Lord doing in your heart? And she wept and she said, preacher, I just need to get some things right with God. And then she said, preacher, have you ever been by to see my dad? And I said, no. I said, I'm sorry, I haven't. And I, it, it broke my heart that I had to say that. She said, well... I'm just wanting to pray for my dad. And she said this in, our, in her prayer. She said, God, don't let my dad die and go to hell. And I promised her that night, I said, I'll go by and see your dad this week. And so the, on Tuesday, I believe it was, I went by their trailer. I knocked on the trailer and Ed came to the door. He was home by himself and he came to the door and invited me in. And for about 20 minutes, he and I just fellowship for a little bit. And as I was leaving out, I said, Ed, I said, I told Barbara on Sunday that I was going to come by and see you. And she's a little concerned about your salvation. And I said, let me ask you this. If you were to die, do you know for sure that you'd go to heaven? And he kind of threw his hands up in the air and kind of chuckled at me. And he said, preacher, he said, thank you for coming by, but I'm not really interested in that. A few days later, I, the Lord burdened my heart. I came back by again and sat down with him. He invited me in. We went back into the backyard and I picked some vegetables with him. 
And as I was about to leave, I said, Ed, uh, the last time I was here, I asked you a question. If you were to die, do you know that you'd go to heaven? I said, have you thought about that, Ed? And he threw his hands up in the air and chuckled again. He said, preacher, he said, thank you for coming by, but I'm not interested. And so my heart was broken, and so I prayed. I asked him if I could pray, and in my prayer, I tried to pray the gospel. I prayed the plan of salvation and gave him some thoughts to think about. And I left. Over the next few days, Barbara was at the altar every service. And her heart was just absolutely broken for her dad. Uh, those that would pray with her, she'd pray the same prayer every, every service. God, whatever it takes, don't let my dad die and go to hell. Do, do what you have to in my heart. Don't let dad die and go to hell. We went to a camp meeting about three hours from our church and we took a busload of people there and we're, we were there for about three days. And every service that they had an invitation at over those three days, Barbara was at the altar. And if you were sitting behind her, you could, just, you could see her shoulders just uh, bucking up and down because she was just uncontrollably crying. Tears were dripping down her cheeks onto that sawdust. The lady that she was staying in the uh, hotel room with came to me and said, Preacher, I'm worried about Barbara. She's up all night praying. And I, I can't hear everything that she says, but she said, I, I can hear her over and over again saying, God, whatever it takes, don't let Dad die and go to hell. The next week we came back and we, my dad was preaching a revival about 10 miles away from our church. And on Monday night we brought a busload over and dad preached on revival and the altar was packed. Barbara was the first one there. The invitation was over. She was still there. The service had closed. She was still at the altar, just weeping like a baby. I finally went and knelt down beside her and I said, God, please help this young lady. I said, Barbara, what's God doing in your heart? And she couldn't even talk for a few minutes. Then finally she said, God, whatever it takes, don't let dad die and go to hell. My heart was broken for her and my heart was broken for her dad. On the Tuesday night of that meeting, we took another busload over, but Barbara got off work late and came over in their car. And during the invitation, I got a, a lady came and got me out of the service and she said, you've got a phone call you need to take. And I went in the vestibule of this church and my secretary was on the phone and she said, preacher, she said, I'm so sorry to bother you at church, but have you heard about the Ivy family? And I said, no, what, what's wrong? And she said, I, I'm so sorry to call you and tell you this right now, but Barbara and Michael, Barbara and her brother were on their way to the meeting that night. And they were crossing a major thoroughfare there in our town and her car stalled in the middle of the road and a speeding truck was coming down the highway and hit their car in her brother's side and the passenger side. And witnesses said that knocked the car about 20 feet in the air and then down into the ditch. 
And my secretary said, Preacher, I, I hate to tell you this, but Barbara's dead and it doesn't look like Michael's going to make it. I went out in the vestibule of that church and fell on my face before the Lord and I began to bawl like a little baby. I think I got a little upset at God, preacher, and I said, Lord, why in the world would you take one of our best kids? She had just signed up for Bible college. She was a joy to work with. I said, why in the world would you take our, uh, this young lady? So we left, my wife and I left out of there quickly and went to the hospital and tried to console the family. I witnessed to that old man a couple of times to no avail. But finally they asked me to meet them at the funeral home and I did and I walked the mom and dad, the other brother into the auditorium and walked them down. The casket was here at the front. And I walked the mother and the other brother up. The dad went and sat on the front row and put his face in his hands. He went no emotion. No tears. Wouldn't even look up at his daughter. So we spent some time talking about Barbara and we laughed a little bit and cried a little bit. But God finally broke my heart. I went and knelt in front of that old man. I said, Ed, look up at me. I said, let me ask you something. I said, would you allow your daughter to die in vain and you spend eternity in hell? And I saw some little tears begin to trickle down those old furrowed cheeks of his. And I said, Ed, let me ask you this. If God could save you today, would you let him? And he stood up and he threw his hands up in the air like he had done to me a few times. But instead of cackling and pushing me away, he put his hands up to heaven and he said, Oh God, I am so sorry. Oh God, I'm so sorry. And I helped him up out of that seat and he and I walked up to that casket. And it, it was almost like he couldn't look in her face. And I said, Ed, I said, I want you to look in the face of that girl that's loved you more than her own life. And I said, if you'd like to be saved, I want you to pray to the God that she loved and accept him as your savior. And I had the joy of giving the power of the gospel Amen. to that old man at the casket of his dead daughter. Amen. Let me ask you this. Is there somebody in your life that if you truly got a hold of the power of the gospel, it would drive you to be at an altar service after service and say, I don't want my dad to die and go to hell. I don't want mom to die and go to hell. Oh, that wayward child of mine, I don't want him to go to hell. The power of the gospel still can save anybody. Amen. Thank God. Are we willing to give the power